you know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Just a catching yeah. strays over here. <laughs> You're in for a hell of a show. Keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. It's time for our main event. Ah, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. Fellas, did we have a nice Thanksgiving? Excellent. Could not ask for better. Yeah, it was great. Um, did you have to deliver any messages to anybody? Well, you know, I just had to uh, control my domain, the kitchen, and uh, as the I founder of the feast. you were kicking people out. You, you had a tweet about there was people serving breakfast, and you're like, all right, get the hell out of here. Yeah, it's turkey time. Yeah. It's turkey time. Turkey right. time serious time. It is a time. Because it's about, you. Base, if you make you, Thanksgiving- You make the turkey. You make the turkey. I make the turkey. I'm very proud of the turkey that I make. But it's like you get a, a, a bachelor's degree in supply chain management when you when you cook Thanksgiving because there's right. just there's a lot that goes into a lot it. going on and there's time and things need to be thought. Yeah, the timing of all of it's insane. It is. It is. It's a lot of work, but I I take it as a point of pride. I love doing it. Well, my pops Jimbo made a hell of a turkey this year. Yeah, nice. Really, really crushed it. Did he brine it? What did he do? Smoke oh yeah, it? we did a couple day brine on that mm, sucker. Nice. But he also did like a full consumer report research for like weeks heading into it. Okay. So like you know where's the best turkey that I can buy? I respect that. that. Yeah. So he got it like all done, and and uh, my mom makes great sides. The kids were playing in the pool. It was terrific. We did one of those farm raised turkeys. Did the brine, and then I also had the uh, injector. Oh, yeah. You got to have the injector. Oh, the injector's key. Throwing some butter in there. You're getting it under the skin. I put the you're butter getting under it the in skin. the meat. Yep. Doing the whole shebang. And I also like, you know, I'll, I don't do stuffing in the turkey, but I, I'll put the celery in. Oh, yeah. You got to get fruits and stuff in there. And the, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, the onions. Nice. Yeah. Shebang, as you said. The whole thing. Yeah. Shebang. How about you, Smash? Well, we mixed it up a little bit this year, and I smoked some baby back ribs just to nice. inject those into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then my daughters made sides, mashed potatoes. Wait, you had no were, turkey? We did have turkey. Oh. Yeah, we had turkey, but we just we just threw ribs were my country. Ribs are always good. Yeah, they you, were you good. At any situation, you can bring ribs. You can they never were go wrong with that. They were good. And then my daughter made mashed potatoes that were just like tons of cream cheese and butter oh. <laughs> you, could, you could have built a house with those yeah well i feel like what the thanksgiving episode was a hit yeah i mean it, i think it's become one of the best traditions that we have going on it really is and without fail every year like ahead of it you see like headlines from from like the washington post and stuff like they they don't realize we're now making fun of them for this but they'll be like here's how to deal with you know your uncle who doesn't agree with uh, you know, no cash bail. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, well, I, I thought, like, that's the thing is like, this is supposed to be a time when families spend time together. You have a meal, you enjoy each other's company, you, you talk about what you're grateful for, life is great. And like, they can't take a second off from the bullshit. And so like, that thing is that like, now we have no option but to fight fire with fire. It's, it's true. It's like, you know, if, if you read anything in the mainstream media, it's all about de-escalating the conflict. Sure. And, like, we provide the alternative to that. Yes. You know? I, what I found most helpful in my home was immediately that morning I put on the Creed halftime show. Oh, yeah. No, that was nice. September 11th. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of set the tone, especially for, 
you know, my uh, my wife's brother and, and his girlfriend, you know, who are on the younger side. Yes. Who probably don't really remember 9-11. I was like, this is when our country was great. And that sort of, I think, ultimately really diffused any tension for the rest of the day. People are like, you're right. If we, we listen in Decreed before we even get on the Macy's we Thanksgiving. in on the, on the yeah, yeah. ribbon thing. Oh, yeah, the man. ribbons, the ribbon dancers. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. The, the one thing I regret that we didn't talk about in our show is an idea that I hope people will use for Christmas if they didn't use it for Thanksgiving when grandpa or your uncle starts talking about Vietnam or the way things used to be and the way they ought to be you need to give them a platform you need to Mm. take the fork and you need to bang on the water glass and say grandpa has something to say everybody listen now I think that's right in this particular episode grandpa had other responsibilities right (laughs) if you don't know you should go back and listen Uh, off the top of the show that was our secretary of education Dude, everyone's become so dumb. <laughs> I mean, that's just right there, the statement. So, I mean, what he said is, I think President Reagan said, uh, I'm here, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I think the actual quote was like, here are the, yeah, the worst. The scariest, scariest words you can hear. Yeah. Words you can hear. It's like the exact Exact opposite. opposite. And like w- one of these assholes was like, oh, no, this is this is a good quote. Let's throw it in the secretary of education speech and and i think if anything that just like solidifies what reagan said where you have a government official who doesn't realize he's making himself sound like an absolute idiot but i I mean it's the point itself of like here's a government official who ostensibly should be in charge of education and make sure kids in this country get educated he didn't even learn it didn't even know it he didn't know it and he makes himself look like an idiot and reagan was right what is it with, I mean, just the basic history. We're, we're so lost. The one thing that blew my effing mind this week, I think it came out uh, yesterday or Saturday. It was all over Twitter. The Zabruder film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And like, I was blown away by the number of people on Twitter. It was like, oh my God, I've never seen it. Where did this film, does this film, and r- reminder, just for those of you who are listening, if you don't know what that is, that's the actual film that was filmed of the Kennedy assass- assassination, mm-hmm. which has been internationally renowned as one of the most significant amateur filmmaking events of our lifetime, of anybody's lifetime. Right. And uh, you should be like, who's on the penny in America. And yet I was blown away how many people online were like, oh my gosh, this is really graphic. I didn't know this existed. Like, well, it wasn't on TikTok. I mean- Yeah, exactly. Our society is raising a generation of idiots. Oh. I mean, it's it's stunning, dude. It's really, really disappointing. But like the fact that that this is not just a government official, but the guy who's ostensibly in charge of education in our country- Has no understanding of history or his place in it. That's the thing is it's really two things. Like, number one, we have no collective history anymore Mm -hmm. to the idea of, like, people not knowing what the Zabruder film is. Yeah. We don't have that anymore because all of our media is so disparate. And there's a lot of advantages to that, but obviously some cultural disadvantages to not having, like, a clear history we all understand. And the people who are supposed to know the history don't even fucking know it. They don't. Exactly. (laughs) Or the the actual destruction of history where I think it was this past week- where uh, I think it was New York City started removing a statue of Thomas Jefferson. Cool. Like, this is the point that it's gotten to. Yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine, like, I just think about this in terms of, because I think these accounts that I was seeing over-indexed on people who were like, RFK is awesome. Hmm. 
right? And I'm looking at this and I'm like, can you imagine having a definitive theory on the CIA murdering JFK and yet not knowing that the Zabruder film existed? Yeah. <laughs> well, their, their minds were free from the propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, all right. So, fellas, before we get into it, uh, a big week on the merch store people have been very excited about the offerings and the black friday yeah. offerings i can't tell you enough how great these things are and i've seen a few more in the wild uh gotta get involved you do especially because as we know the left has a war on christmas yeah and in order to fight the war on christmas you have to buy ruthless podcast merch and give it to all your relatives and you get that right on the domain you can you just go to ruthlesspodcast.com and you just click on store in the navigation or you could go, and I would prefer you did this because my friends like to goof on me and make fun of me <laughs> for setting it up. But you can go to the subdomain. The subdomain is store.ruthlesspodcast.com. Well, that's good. I'm I like... should take a rip off that. When people, a... <laughs> when, people, when people buy merch through the subdomain, I should make more money. You're a cynical man. Spoken, <laughs> spoken like a younger was, brother. Say, this is a good time for me to bring up that uh, shout out to the gentleman who is wearing a senator hoodie at the airport. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I left it like I left a little. It, it seemed like he was having a you know, slice of pizza. So I'm not going to go up and be like, hey, great hoodie. But it was a great hoodie, dude. You looked awesome. Yeah. I love it. Those are such huge hits. Anyway, thanks for supporting the program with that and delivering a message at the same time. Uh, let's get into some news. A uh, lot of discussion, which I find completely hilarious, about Democrats trying to grapple with their own unpopularity. Mm -hmm. And some of it is Biden, some of it is the policies. Uh, but the idea that like inflation and our general economic outlook could have a political impact is just now sort of starting to take hold within the Democratic Party, Yeah, if you notice this. Uh, there's a story from CNBC, 60% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck give, going into the holidays. 60. 60. Uh, as of October, 60% of adults said they're living paycheck to paycheck, according to Lending Club Report. This figure is unchanged from last year. And remember, last year was like the most dire economic circumstance. Everybody yeah. was just terrified and democrats were like oh don't worry we've gotten completely out of that we're now back in the we're back in the in the black here things are not improving and it's it's the same if not worse uh even as credit card debt tops one trillion almost all or 96 percent of shoppers said they expect to overspend this season Jeez. according to separate td bank survey half of all consumers plan to take on more debt for holiday expenses, another report by Ally Bank found. This is, a, I mean... That's the thing is, so I, this is, I mean, I've been harping on this for a while, but you're really starting to see it manifest where folks are struggling to keep up with the rising cost of everything. Like, uh, the, the price of groceries have gone up significantly. Going out to eat at a restaurant, the cost has gone up significantly. And this is a time where, especially parents feel obligated to try to make you know the holiday special for their kid and so they want to to make sure you know they get th their son or daughter what they wanted and the only way that they can make ends meet when they're already living paycheck to paycheck is they turn to the credit card we've already hit a record amount of credit card debt more than any time in human history 
credit card debt in terms of how much Americans are holding over a trillion dollars. It's sad. It's just it's really sad. And 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 the important thing again to to say about that is this credit card debt is in an extremely high interest rate right. environment. Right. So that's like thirty percent on a credit card. So I mean, it's wild. Um, I, re- I read this headline like a plea to ignorant libs who are in charge of everything, because if you are living paycheck to paycheck, you don't need to read about it in CNBC. You know the reality of your situation. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. And, this is not this is not something that you need to read about. You're right, living it. Right. Exactly. And they just refuse to acknowledge it. And it, I, I don't understand why. I really don't understand why. I think they just don't care. They, they're living their own lives. They're doing their own things. They're pushing ideology on everybody. And every, you know, 60% of the people are poor because of it. Yeah, no, it's true. You were all over this over the weekend, too. There, I noticed there's a Washington Post story smash that you tweeted about and may have brought change. Yeah, you know, from time to time they change headlines. And I don't know if we have the graphic up here of what their original headline was. Yeah, there it is right there. They said inflation is down, which first of all, it's not. <laughs> the rate of inflation was unchanged. The rate of inflation was unchanged in the previous month. That's not even something that they got into in this headline. But gripes still going viral. So people who are concerned about prices going up. <laughs> it's the gripes. They're the ones who are Stop wrong. Stop complaining. It's the gripes. It's the gripes. And I saw a bunch of libs on Twitter also. There was a New York Times story that did kind of a focus group of Democratic voters who were concerned about this. And they're like, why don't they understand that the economy is great? Yeah. Why don't they understand? You're like, they're talking to normal people and they're mad at them. What's with the gripes? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, this is why you saw Bidenomics get completely disappeared. Like, they don't talk about Did we about call that, that or did we call that? Totally. And like, it, like, like I described it at the time, when they roll out Bidenomics, it's like a ISIS, you know, murder tape of where they're like, we're taking responsibility for destroying this economy. And <laughs> An when ISIS they realize, you know, it becomes a joke because it, it, everyone on the right starts saying Bidenomics, Bidenomics. Whenever there's an article of like inflation, you know, has people griping. Why don't why are they complaining about this? Bidenomics. Whenever you see like a, that, that article in particular that The Washington Post did, it was insidious. So they, cha- they changed the headline, right, Smash? They did change the headline, and I don't know if we could put that graphic back up. And now it says, the viral $16 McDonald's meal that may explain voter anger at Biden. Oh. oh. So it's it's a viral thing that explains. Like, well, it's, they, it's, it's McDonald's. It's not the economy. You have to be like a, a criminal to try to dupe Americans like this. If you're supposed to be a journalist, who is responsible for this? They always put a distance in the causality of things. If you notice that, like that's the thing that they do to editorialize. <laughs> totally. You right. know, instead of just being like Biden's failures to rein in inflation there has voters go. upset, it's now become this third party thing yeah. that is happening it's, out it's there. Happening. And somebody's responsible for it, but we're not going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about the thing. This is their move to protect members of their own party. Yeah. They, they would never do this if, a, if they were a Republican in no. charge. That's why we always say that if you want media uh, to hold a government accountable, you want Republicans in charge. And so in, in, in particular about this article, it was talking about how there's these videos now that were going viral on TikTok where a person would order just like one combo meal. And they show the receipt, and it's for sixteen bucks. Yeah, sixteen bucks for a combo meal at McDonald's. And this used to be like dollar menu. That's stuff. the thing. And yeah. so, like, 
The article, uh, it was written by Taylor Lawrence. Who could have thought? Oh. Who could have thought? Oh, Shocker. no way, really? Yeah. And oh. so in noted, the article- Noted economist. They were like, uh, uh, why are people griping about this? Don't they know it's only like, I think the burger they said was like $7, but they used the burger. They didn't say the combo. Right. You know, they're trying to do anything they can to lie to individuals. Yeah, so I found a separate uh, graphic. Can we get that up there? Oh. This is from 2018, folks. This was the dollar menu- at McDonald's for 2018? one from 2018. Oh my gosh! It used to be this good before Biden. You've got a cheeseburger for a buck. You can do a Happy Meal for three bucks. Yeah, three bucks for a Happy Meal. <laughs> three bucks. I mean, it was that good so recently. <laughs> I was I was all about those uh, those single cheeseburgers, and the reason why is pretty simple. Those little onions they have, the little square onions they throw in there, like confetti. Yeah. Just like like the little flavor crystals, they're just delightful, absolutely the best, and you can get it for a dollar. It used to, you used to be able to like. Sad. We had it this good, listen, cheeseburgers for a buck, three dollar Happy Meals, and now look at how like a sixteen dollar meal at McDonald's, and a sixteen dollar meal at McDonald's. In the Washington Post, on the front page, put this up. Put an article that said you're wrong for complaining about yeah, it. Yeah, stop complaining about it, folks. So, but this is the paragraph that really got me that I think the editors probably reached into to deliver that first headline. They're talking about the $16 McDonald's yeah. thing. These stories soon reached the White House Office of Digital Strategy. Oh, oh I'm sure there's a bunch of bangers in there, right? <laughs> I mean, think about what these clowns are looking at on a day-to-day basis, which tracked the meme as one of the many exaggerated examples of the nation's economic woes, according to a White House official speaking on the condition of anonymity. I just see, like, I see the meme of a bunch of people patting each other on the back. Look what we've done. Look what we've done. (laughs) We tracked the meme, guys. In reality, inflation has been steadily subsiding. Mm. And last week, the government reported price hikes has eased yet again in October. And I think, so this is an important game that they're playing. It's not, first of all, it's not true. It's so, factually inaccurate. What they're trying to say is, so they're playing the game of, inf- they say, well, inflation has been solved. They're talking about month to month increase. Of the rate. But the prices have stayed the same and elevated. Right. Because it's not, we don't have deflation. Has anyone begun paying less for anything? Right. Have prices come down on it? Anything. Also, folks, if you saw any of these Black Friday or Cyber Monday or any of these, there were no deals. No. There was nothing. Because, you know, the, the producer's price index, the PPI, is also elevated. Everyone is paying more for things, and all the White House is focused on is how can we continue to live, folks? It's, it's, it's so funny you mentioned that, Smug, because it was like... My wife did a little bit of the, not Black Friday, but sort of over the weekend with the price reductions on stuff. But it was funny because it was like, this is 40% off, but it's really just the price you could have paid for something two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. Think of the same. Man, that is heartbreaking. It's, it's literally just cutting off Biden inflation. That is heartbreaking. <laughs> Overcoming this discon- discontent. I'm going to continue reading because this is just like, if it should be written as a complete parody. Yeah. yeah. But this is a news article. Like George Orwell, yeah. if he was making a joke. Overcoming this disconsent, discontent and understanding what's driving it. Think about that for a mm. second. And understanding what's driving it has become a central priority of the White House and Democratic lawmakers. What's Wait a minute. What's driving the discontent? Yeah. We, not what, what's driving the bingo. price. Bingo. Yeah. Right. Bingo. Yep. Right. Yep. Get out of town. Yeah. Leading to a fierce debate among economists, 
pollsters and other experts as the administration tries to figure out how to improve its economic message. White House Chief of Staff Jeff Zients has held internal meetings over the last several weeks with top communications and economic officials, according to two people familiar with internal matters, speaking on the condition of anonymity, of course. How, how do we manipulate people <laughs> into stop complaining about $16 meals at McDonald's? That's the thing. So this is an Get issue where, I mean, we just touched on 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. A meal at McDonald's costs $16. The concern of the White House and all these advisors is how do we get people to stop complaining? It's not how do we fix the problem? Well, and I also read. I, I mean, that's mind blowing. What I read into this is like an additional subtext, and we've seen this uh, since 2020, is that every piece of information that is true that Democrats don't like is categorized as like a misinformation campaign. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and so and so in order to remedy it, it's not like. We can't acknowledge the reality of things being true. We're actually like the entire story is about the campaign to fight back on something. We all agree it's just misinformation. Oh, oh right? of course. Of right. course. Right. right. So it, listen, that Americans won't give Biden credit for these accomplishments if the president and his allies don't talk about the many strategists and party officials say. Mm. <laughs> Can they name any accomplishment? <laughs> I think they're giving him due credit, and that's why his approval is 35%. It's, it's sort of the problem when your first thing you pass is something called the Inflation Reduction Act, and then you don't reduce inflation. It seems like basic shit. Yeah. I mean, that's it right there, dude. At, at the center of this debate is a dispute over what extent social media and perceptions, rather than real conditions in the economy are fueling voter angst oh so here's uh, oh that's interesting I, I, isn't it i, I think this is because it's your facebook page rather than your actual right. pocketbook right. this is making important you make context. the fucking decisions <laughs> are you kidding me that's the thing so this is very important context when this line right here says that rather than real conditions in the economy real conditions the author of this taylor lorenz attended a fifty thousand dollar a year swiss boarding school <laughs> And Wait. she knows what things are like out there for you. How is this a news story? That's uh, a, it's it not, was it's on propaganda. the front page. It was on the front page. I mean, oh, God. White House officials said the administration is working with TikTok creators. Oh. There you go. That's the answer. <laughs> a platform that we know is controlled by China. Let's to just tell them. positive stories about Biden's economic stewardship while also working with social media platforms to counter misinformation. Oh, misinformation. Mm. Always. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. There it was. So here's the thing. Uh, we can work with TikTok because America's, you know, like they'll help. They'll, they'll, they'll help. Yeah, these other ones, we got to stop them from helping. Yeah. I think that's dude, that's a really <laughs> great point by Duncan. I think if it helps Democrats, it's called information. If it hurts them, it's called misinformation. That's right. just like the blanket rule that they use. Unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if we have this graphic. Did we put this graphic together, this graphic number three? If we don't have it, it's not a big deal. But it's just so showing about, yeah, we've got it. That's great. So uh, more Americans saw their disposable income decline in 2022 than in any of the preceding seven years. And <laughs> look at the I numbers. mean, like, this is horrific. This essentially, like, if in, you want to distill in a, a graphic, and this is why you should subscribe on YouTube so you see this. If you want to show a country that is in a dire situation, this is what you would show. Yeah. I mean, look at that graphic, dude. It, it, and it's right in 2020. I wonder what happened. It's just completely shocking. You look at it and, and it's like, 
then you get quotes from those people saying it's the reality that they need to focus on, not this propaganda. This is this is a problem within newsrooms. We've talked about this extensively, that newsrooms are over-indexed on far left-wing Democrats. There are still, and Smug is going to give me a hard time for this, there are still people inside of newsrooms who are like, fine, we need you could put that up. You guys, you win the argument. You're putting it on the front page. Just put this graphic in. Just, just put this graphic in yeah. just to show where the incomes are, and uh, and I'll call it even. And there are still people at newspapers who are interested in delivering facts, no matter who they upset when they're printed. And I think this is this the fact that this graphic made it into this story is evidence of that. I think so too. I think so too. Um, all right. So to break things up a little bit, fellas, and this was not uh, part of the plan coming into the show. But I think it's really important that we bring our chief diversity officer in at this point, Nikki Spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> There's a number of things that we need to talk to him about. Okay. Uh, I want to start with his Thanksgiving. And then he's also part Irishman. Yeah. He's like half Italian, half Irishman. Yeah. Turns out the Irish are making some news these days. Yeah. Th- yeah, they were trending on Twitter and it was fantastic content so uh nikki this is going to be your first time speaking on the program how are you pal i'm good <laughs> <laughs> nikki before we get into the irish let's let's uh, branch out into the uh the italian side uh oh why don't you give us just a little flavor for thanksgiving what are the dishes so we first we'd like to start off with some nice veal parmesan <laughs> <laughs> you do a veal parmesan to start off with that's the oh, like the first course my bad we start off with a pasta course and as i as i sent the picture i send in slack yeah nice, yeah it was a nice uh shrimp scampi <laughs> you just whip up a little scampi a little pasta for jules just you a get little some... bit just a little bit we, we have a lot of other dishes to make did you ha- do you have a charcuterie maybe a gabagool Absolutely. <laughs> there was gabagool there was there so was prosciutto gabagool amazing i love how he says prosciutto not prosciutto <laughs> legit <laughs> so good that's how you know he's real italian so wait uh so do you get to turkey or do you not do that at all that's like 10 courses down oh, oh so wow. you just I mean, when does the meal like this start in your household? The meal like this starts at, uh, we want to make it like uh, at a good time, so around 2 p.m. And uh, we just start, that's when we just uh, just sit down for a nice family, you know, family <laughs> dinner. Yeah. <laughs> just like everyone else. You guys yeah. just have a conversation about the waste management business. And then Absolutely. You just, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story about that yeah. later. But oh, yeah. oh yeah. well, you're going to save it? It's the pro- it's the- oh, yeah, I'm saving it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see where that goes. So like seven hours later, you get to the turkey. Absolutely. Yeah. Seven hours later. And uh, we, you know, for like dessert, we have some nice uh, pumpkin cannolis. Are you, wow. are you being bet, for real? Pumpkin cannolis. <laughs> I bet oh, those are good, honestly. I bet they're great. Honestly. I mean, it sounds, but that's wild. <laughs> like, if I had to come up with a joke, I, I'd come up with a pumpkin cannolis. <laughs> <laughs> pumpkin cannolis. Pumpkin cannolis. Hell yes. Hell yes, Nikki. All right. So, listen, some of us were a little perplexed. Uh, over the weekend as we were looking at what was happening with the Irish trending. And it appears as if, I don't know, for the untrained eye, that 
the Irishman may be reconstituting the IRA because, you know, look, nobody knows terrorism like the Irish. (laughs) (laughs) And so so what ends up happening is uh, this morning I wake up on Twitter, the Irish are trending. I was like, what is this? Something about Notre Dame? What's going on? Right. And it was just like good old fashioned Irish bigotry. It was like... You know those ads you'd see in like, or not ads, in, in for like uh, newspaper cartoons, cartoons yeah, yeah. you'd see in, in history class of where it was like, oh, the Irish, they're depicted as like drunks and like, you know, super into leprechauns and such. <laughs> and it was just like my, you know, you do a search for the Irish on Twitter and it's just like banger after banger going after <laughs> and holding the Irish accountable. <laughs> Like throughout Hold, his, holding them account. <laughs> Nikki's gonna carb on you. <laughs> so wait, Nikki, so tell me, uh how did this come about? So to give a little background, Ireland has been uh just like many other countries, been going through some uh, tough times. The with, troubles. Yeah, the, the troubles. troubles. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Is yeah. it like another famine? Uh, it's that, not serious, right? Or is nah, it like... immigration this time. Okay. But uh, it's not the famine, Jesus. I was like potatoes again. <laughs> Do we have? But any, that's bad. It was it was a horrible thing. Do we have any uh, proper introductory music or anything for for Nikki on this stuff? The Irish. Not if we want to get uh, banned from YouTube. <laughs> oh, we don't. Okay, I guess the Irish are also litigious. My God, <laughs> <laughs> because we've also got the board back. By the way, we do. Which is a hell of a time to give us the board, uh, but we've got it now. So Nikki, all right. So uh, immigration has become an issue. Yeah, immigration's become an issue, and this was kind of the uh, straw that broke the camel's back. There was an incident where a uh, Algerian immigrant, like, went on a mass stabbing spree. Good and, God, that's yeah, terrible. Left a uh, left a five year old uh, girl in critical condition mm, in the hospital, hey. and this uh, this is what triggered the riots. So, all right, so oh, so there were riots. Yeah, yeah, uh, because, oh, and there were there were like anti the policy that allowed this to happen, right? Not yeah, like, basically, yeah, yeah, because that, it's a horrific time we live in. Like, you can have a terrorist attack, then people in the streets in America will go and be like, "I support them." Yeah, but see, that's what's different about the Irish is that your majority population there is is they're ready to throw down. I, I'd hope so. Minute. I'd hope, so. and and they're at the mercy of of, of who to to allow these uh like I, I guess. Un, undocumented or whatever immigrants into Ireland is, is this the British who are at it? Is that is it their fault? It's their own government. Yeah, it's their it's it's the prime minister who is uh, not good. Not a, not a yeah. not a good one. Not a, not a the good prime one. minister of Ireland. Yeah, but surely the prime minister of Ireland knows the uh, rich history of the Irish people when it comes to combating their. Uh... Well, if he doesn't know, he's going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: is you straighten him out. You just get his lucky charms. What's he going to do? <laughs> yeah. I think that's like the well, what I'm secret. Told, what I'm told, uh, Smug, is that you actually just have to sit and watch to see where the end of the rainbow that's is. That's it. And that's then right. the Prime Minister of Ireland is, is there. Well, you got to get the pot. Doing of, terrible policy. Get the pot of gold. <laughs> so, so, all right. So the Irish uh, rose up. Yes, they did. They got a little uppity. They got a little uppity. And uh, the end result of that, do we have a clip showing anything from the government so we can, can properly and contextualize this? This is like the policy of the Irish government. Oh, do we have? No. Yeah. All legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. All right. So this is this is a I don't know who this lady is, but this lady is explaining why it is that the government needs to censor and ban any sort of dissent 
Oh, yeah, you got to love it. Which is always a good first sign of any government when they're uh, seeking to. You know you have a good policy when you have to force people to not be allowed to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Very important that you have the full strength of the government enforcing Things are going great if that's the situation. (laughs) Your ability. But uh, the uh, the Irish, uh, for those of you who have not followed, um, have a way of dealing with this kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, It's whiskey. Potatoes (laughs) Potatoes <laughs> and car bombs. Violence is basically that's the cornerstone of their entire economy. Well, well, they really pioneered terrorism. In a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, Nikki, what, what, what? How? What's the end of this deal? What's the end of this deal? Yeah, um, I, I don't, not, not quite sure. I mean, does it seem like it's just this is an ongoing thing? I mean, oh, it, it's, it's I, from what I've seen, it's died down a little bit, but it, it. If we know the Irish, it's by no means the end of it. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> That's a great reputation. The, the best part about the Irish, from my experience, is that like it, it, it generally a pretty congenial people, mm-hmm. and that you know you get along. I don't know very many Irishmen that I haven't gotten along with almost immediately, but there's a there's a ledge there. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, like history shows they're they are typically dangerous people. Well, if you, lot push of them, if you push them, I mean, like I said, if you search for the Irish, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, the That's Irish. worth looking Just into. Look at Historical documents. The Irish. Yeah. <laughs> From the Archbishop Anselm. Like, I was reading a lot of this stuff. It was really great information. You had to get educated. Uh, the, this is from uh, the Archbishop of, of, of Anselm, who said that this is a filthy people wallowing in oh. vice. They indulge in incense, incest, for example, in marrying or rather debauching the wives of their dead brothers. Do we know any Irishman who did this? Maybe the son of a president. Wow. <laughs> wow. This is uh, this is taking a dark. I, I, lo- I, I love how shout out Archbishop. I love how we're not going to talk about mass immigration into Europe, <laughs> Just and instead Irish. we're going to blame the Irish. Just blame the Irish. <laughs> no, I feel like the Irish have a point. Yeah. Right. But I, the thing. Wait, you're saying Hunter did nothing wrong? I'm. This it's is nothing extremely to do with the normal Irish behavior. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just be Irish, Nick. You can't Irish. Take, you can't take that. You oh. can't take that. Careful starting your car, it's buddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got the Irish and the Italians wanting to kill you, oh, no, and I want to put you in Gitmo. <laughs> you're making enemies. That's pal. the thing is, you know, this is what happens when you tell the truth. Oh my God. All right. Well, Nikki, thank you for your debut here on the Variety Program. Uh, I hope everybody's learned more than it sounds like you've learned about this uh, tragic situation in Ireland. But it's something to keep an eye on. And yeah. We need somebody else to make fun of. Maybe he now he has to be Nikki Mick Spaghetti. <laughs> oh, he can't just be Nikki Spaghetti. We got to respect both sides of his heritage. Yeah, though it's true. Yeah, we got to identify him. Yeah, properly. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Nikki. Uh, in other news, uh, there was a lot of uh, that came out about the hostage releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless I'm missing something, did, did we get any Americans back in these hostage releases? Not to my knowledge. I remember the we one, got one, one. Okay, one one American back, and there's like fifty. Not to mention we don't all the ones exactly. that were murdered on October seventh. Yeah, you know. Right. Just, I want people to remember that. Like, everybody talks about this in the abstract as it's like this conflict that's happening over the Middle East. That's the thing. Like, Americans were killed that day. Yeah. Right? So, like, 
you know, the 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 stakes the stakes are actually much higher for America, and we sort of pretend because Joe Biden's president, the media covers for him that it's this abstract thing that he's sort of dealing with. Yes, yeah. So uh, as this is all happening, you've got the president. What was he in Nantucket? Is that where he was? Is, is it, was he really? Yeah, I mean, it's just it, the whole thing is unbelievable. If you watch it, it's it's completely tragic. The, the horrifying story that is. Israel and Hamas right now. I understand if you've been tuning some of it out because it's actually very, very difficult to consume. Yeah. Some of the things that you're seeing from the hostages released and they're kids, right? You're seeing kids come back and see reunited with, and God bless them. I mean, you just love to see. I mean, for me, what was really messed up is, is uh, you know, I read this article about a child who has returned and they're like, well, their parents were murdered. <sighs> I mean, it's just it, it, the most heartbreaking stuff. It, I think we need to go back and we have to attack the Irish again. Yeah, okay. Bring it back. Um, because the Irish PM, I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, this guy again? Well, the, the you know, Hamas released a hostage and the way that they chose to describe it was pretty incredible. Can we put up graphic 4A, please? Get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, so for our audio only listeners, this is the tweet. This is a day of enormous joy and relief for Emily Hand and her family, an innocent child who was lost, has lost. now been found and returned. And we breathe a massive sigh of relief. Our prayers have been answered. Lost? Lost. Oops, we just goofed. You know, she was just in the forest. Like, like we lost her in a Walmart, I you mean, know? Oh, <laughs> got lost it's just incredible but the the, the the moral ambiguity yeah dude that it, it gets to me a lot the, like, like this the, is this yeah. kind of shit is just like it, and it's intentional it's intentional because this is a very left-wing thing they're all under pressure from their grassroots who is just like full-throated down with hamas like when you said that there's a constituency within the Democratic Party yeah. that supports Hamas, you are seeing it to, to, to the point that a, mem a Democrat member of Congress feels that it's okay to tweet from the river to the sea. Like that's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. But it, it goes back to our previous uh, segment when we were talking about Biden and inflation and everything and the way that the media and the sort of like liberal establishment tries to like distance the person who's responsible, the causality, mm -hmm. right, to the thing. Yeah. And it's the same thing here, right? Like, we're not going to talk about Hamas. We're not going to talk about terrorists abducting this girl. We're going to say lost and found. We're going to say lost and found. Let's play, uh, let's put up graphic 4B here. There's a nice community note that was put on this tweet. Nice. Oh, thank God oh, yeah. for Twitter. Community yeah. notes are terrific. Dude, Elon, you're an absolute king for community yeah. notes. The community note says, Emily wasn't lost. She was abducted by terrorists from Hamas. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's sad that we have to applaud this kind of thing. I know. Thing. It's like basic stuff, but it's like this. And this is the one thing I do love about the internet for, you know, all of the things that, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of stuff you got to weed through. Yeah. But. It is a democracy of ideas, and I really, truly believe in that. And if you're a conservative, you have to believe in the power of the Internet because everything that we're up against, this establishment in media, hates the fact that it's a disparate network that you can go out and find information. And that's the thing. Is Twitter, that's why Twitter is key yes. under Elon's you know, governorship is because you're allowed to have that information. It's not a marketplace of ideas like on TikTok right. where the Chinese are controlling the algorithm and, and China doesn't allow – Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything in their country. Yeah. They're only allowed to export 
their viewpoint Propaganda. that goes to like every kid in this country under the age of 24. Well, and then think about what happened during COVID, like how much our government tried to impose what it wanted the truth to be. And suppressed everything else. And suppressed everything else on these tech platforms. They were using the power of government to tell people at Twitter and Facebook, you can't talk about this doctor. Is, you can't talk about this Harvard-educated person who knows fucking germs. Yeah. It, it literally is the reason we have the First Amendment. Right. I mean, it literally is. Yeah. It's just, it's it's astonishing that we've gotten to this point. And it's global, as you can see with the Irish... Uh, no, I'm sorry, Nikki. That's a real problem. And, 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 you know, it also grinds my gears is the thought that while this child gets to go home after being abducted and held hostage by terrorists, there's a good chance there was some kid at NYU who pulled down the poster of this kid when they're Oh, missing. my God. Like, think yeah. about that happening in America today. How yeah. how insane is this? Yeah, it's completely insane. But when I said that Hamas was, a, was an actual constituency of the Democratic Party... It was it, it was a fact then, it's a truth. fact now. So true. Let me give you two headlines from the New York Post. Biden apologized to Muslim American leaders for questioning the death toll of Hamas-linked org. <sighs> President Biden apologized to some prominent Muslim American leaders for publicly questioning whether the Palestinian death toll being reported by Hamas, Gaza Ministry of Health, was accurate. Um, We've already seen how inaccurate it's been. <laughs> Yeah. Well, these are the pe same people that are that are saying that like everything that they do is justified, and that the rapes, murders, kills, beheadings, abductions, kidnappings, like all of these things are justified. We're, we're, I mean, we're less than a month removed from um, Hamas firing a rocket into Israel and misfiring and hitting their own the, par the parking lot of a hospital. And then we spent forty eight hours where every Democrat in this country was calling for a ceasefire, saying. Israel blew up a hospital and yeah. they killed 500 doctors and patients, which was a fucking lie. And it was all from these people, Gaza Ministry of Health. Yeah. So, and, and that's important, very important to, to, to explain. Not only did that happen where it was Hamas who fired the rocket that hit that hospital, then you had members of, of the, Gaza, of the uh, Hamas you know, controlled health ministry have a press conference where they said, this was a rocket from Israel. We have like right. 700 people right. dead here from the hospital. They put that uh, uh, you know press conference together and then the following day once 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 you see, you know, sunlight, it was the the parking lot was hit. Right. Right. Uh, it was by all, the rocket from Hamas. It was all a lie, but now you've got the president of the United States apologizing, apologizing mm. for questioning the credibility of the of organization that, that did that. Yeah. It's just incredible. So here's another headline from the Washington Post. White House grapples with internal divisions on Israel-Gaza. Earlier this month, a group of about 20 distressed White House staffers requested a meeting with President Biden's top advisors as Israel's war in Gaza entered its sixth week. All right. So let's just stop right there. We're talking it, it, White House staffers. Yeah. Their job literally the paycheck and the oath that they swore to uphold is to support their administration and the American people. What they're distressed about is an activist position. Mm -hmm. One of which polling suggests is under 10% of this country. And they are taking the time of top 
Biden administration's advisors. Now we can make an argument about whether those advisors' time is worth anything at all. Yeah. I would argue it's probably not. So like 20 of these people showing up. Yeah, fine. but you know what? They should be in the sit room. They shouldn't be dealing with this bullshit. They shouldn't be dealing with this bullshit. And they've had to deal with it. Uh, White House Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor Anita Dunn and Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer, they wanted to know the administration's strategy for curbing the number of civilian deaths, uh, the message it plans to send on the conflict, and its post-war vision for the region. Mm. Its post-war vision. Like, open a fucking book. Open a fucking book. I Like, I don't even know how to make... I, I just... Guys, it's like, this is... I, I, one of the few moments where I'm totally speechless. Well, we have an incompetent government from the top of the show, you know, from, uh, you know, the Secretary of Education. Obviously, the people at, at the top are completely useless. But what is even more incredible to me is what we saw in 2020 at the New York Times when Tom Cotton wanted to publish yeah. that op-ed. Right about how we need to send in the National Guard, and we should have sent in the National fucking Guard. He was right, though. And I, w I wish every day that Donald Trump would have listened to him more than he listened to Kim Kardashian, because yep. God bless it, I, I think he could have undone a lot of the damage that happened that summer if he would have done that. But what happened in the New York Times, it, you know, where their Slack channel rose up, got the editorial director or fired, fired, yeah, gone, fired, right? Like that is that same mentality from these kids has infected the rest of our society and we're seeing it now here in government where you've got these kids who their job is like you said Holmes like like you have to raise your hand and say you know I'm swearing an oath to defend the constitution and I'm supposed to advance the cause of this administration and I work at the pleasure of the president but now no it's all about our fucking feelings and we're going to have the senior staff of the White House <laughs> dealing with a, their own staff in a meeting in your own staff it's insane I can't oh. I, if you're listening to this right now and you're a Democrat and I know there's a lot of the that hate listen that work in the White House and you have to deal with these people every day send us an email yeah. Like, like, just go to hello at ruthlesspodcast.com. I would love the juicy, dirty details. We will not out you. We will we not will, out you. Not. We, will, we will protect your anonymity. I just want to know how terrible it is to work with some of these left-wing lunatic Zoomers. And if if, if none, no one from the White House sends an email there, that's even sadder. Yeah. Because <sighs> in this sense, like... When when you essentially have 20 staffers in the White House being like, listen, it's time to give the terrorists a break. Yeah. We got to think about what it looks like after the war for the terrorists. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> will they be safe? <laughs> it's it's like it's like the it's like the tweet. Uh, what I'm really worried about is when they nuclear bomb America. What happens? Yeah. To, what happens to the terrorists after that? Yeah, yeah the, the Norm Macdonald yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, we have a clip because this is not just here. We've covered this globally, obviously, and and it's so distressing. It's just so distressing how warp one's mind can can be about this whole conflict this is from sky news if we can run uh clip one of the sky news account of the deal that was made to free these hostages i just want to let it sit and let the context speak for itself i was speaking to a hostage negotiator this morning he made the comparison between the 50 hostages hostages that hamas has promised um, promised to release, as opposed to the 150 prisoners that are Palestinians that Israel has said that it will release. And he made the comp comparison between the numbers and the fact 
that does Israel not think that Palestinian lives are valued as highly as Israeli lives? That is an astonishing accusation. If we could release one prisoner for every one hostage, we would obviously do that. We're operating in horrific circumstances. We're not choosing to release these prisoners who have blood on their hands. We are talking about people who have been convicted of stabbing and shooting attacks. Notice the question of proportionality doesn't interest Palestinian supporters when they are able to get more of their prisoners out. But really, it is outrageous to suggest that the fact that we are willing to release prisoners who are convicted of terrorism offenses, more of them than we are getting our own innocent children back, somehow suggests that we don't care about Palestinian lives. Really, that's a disgusting accusation. I mean... That is insane. First of all, hats off to that response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. incredible, right? Hats off. And you can you can hear the indignation in his voice because it is just fucking patently absurd. Well, I don't understand how insane. anybody could ask a question. How could you rattle that around in your brain and be like, oh, I'm going to say this. Here's a, here's a question. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should throw this out there. I mean, it's- You're it, releasing three convicted terrorists for one innocent child. Yeah. And it's devaluing the terrorist? That's like, a, how, do you, how do you even- like, where I, does that come from? I think that point alone that when you're talking about a convicted terrorist as opposed to a hostage of terrorists, saying that this is a similar circumstance of of being like, okay, well, this is the same thing. You know, why don't you do that? Like, uh, why wouldn't you trade, uh, you know, uh, an innocent terrorist who's already been convicted? Just, just framing it in such a way yeah. is shocking. And like but, we talked about five minutes ago, that's the problem. There, is this like creep that's there, happening? There is a problem with misinformation in our world, but it's not the people posting about their $16 McDonald's meals. It's the people in organized media who are lying to the public every single day and their ratings are suffering because of it. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. The BBC is a, is state run media in in the UK. I don't understand like how people like that come to that conclusion, and then how you hire people who have such like a hardened ideological view to present information. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got you. Just to put a finer point on it, and I think this was the case that people were talking about over the weekend on on Twitter. You know. Uh, Israel would want back like a five-year-old kid from Gaza who's a hostage and and their crime is being Jewish and they're willing to release no this is a perfect example Isra Riyad Jabez who was jailed for 11 years you know what she did she tried to ignite a car bomb uh, that disfigured her and uh, in Jerusalem in in 2015 and you know there were palestinian supporting accounts who had before and after photos of this woman pretending like pretending that, that the israelis did this yeah she was mutilated in prison Good and it's like she had a fucking propane tank and a bomb in her car and she tried to ram it into a security checkpoint in Jerusalem and ignited her fucking car and burned her face off. Yeah. And we're and they're releasing her from prison for a five to get a kid back. Yeah. And there is no moral equivalency to that. No, right? Man. But like that person is like the they you know all of these are just prisoners of war. This is just a war. Disgusting. And it's like it's not. It's not. It's not. It's <laughs> disgusting. It's disgusting. You gotta keep your head up on this shit because it's just it's 
it, it's inundating us at this point. All right, we got some animal news that I need to hit. Yes, let's go. Uh, I think we might even have a clip with this. A horse was loose on a flight to Belgium that forces a cargo jet back to New York. Did you guys see this one? This is from the Associated Press of all things. Still not as bad as Southwest. Uh, <laughs> do we have a clip on this one, Wolf? All right, so maybe we don't have a clip, but but listen to this. So a cargo jet headed to Belgium from New York had to turn around mid-flight after a horse escaped. Its stall got loose in the hold. A Boeing 747 operated by Air Atlantica Icelandic uh, just started its flight across the Atlantic Ocean on November 9th when the pilot radioed air traffic control in Boston that said the horse on board had escaped its stall. Uh <laughs> We don't have a problem flying-wise, he said, uh, but we need to return back to New York. We cannot get the horse back secured. <laughs> uh, the controller uh, cleared him back, and they they landed. Uh, and then the 747 pilot had one more request. I do believe we need a vet, a veterinarian, <laughs> I guess you'd call it, for a horse upon its landing. Is that something we can speak to New York about? The controller said he's passing a lot. I like that he clarified we need a veterinarian instead of like, we need a vet who knows what the what you got to do. Yeah, who's gotta, willing to do the right thing and shoot the horse. Two, two in the back of the head of this horse. The horse, So the horse got loose on the flight. Well, yeah, First I, of all, that's even in a 747, you got to imagine that's quite a calamity. It, it is. I You know, after 9-11, we started putting marshals on airplanes. <laughs> I think... Anytime there's going to be a horse on an airplane, Smug should be on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I would Smug do the right thing. The I would have the courage to do the you right would thing. Shake, you would shake a plastic bag at him. You'd get him to calm down. I mean, well, the, the thing is, is, again, this is still not as bad as Southwest because here you've got one wild animal on loose as opposed to 200, you know? So I don't know why they were so worried about it, but the horse still should be shot. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's a fair point because we also have a Southwest issue. We do. Do we? Yeah, this is a man Always. Who, who opened a door on a flight and jumped onto, uh, onto the tarmac. Do we have this this clip? Let's take a look at this one. Go, go y'all. Go, y'all. Oh, man. Go, y'all. Oh, God. Look at this. Look at this man. This is the sea of humanity. This is a standard Southwest flight. What happened? Think about it. They were waiting in the C group so you could get a middle seat and a bag of peanuts. Do they not even put TVs on Southwest chairs? Are you serious? Wait, are you joking? They barely have seats. Oh, my God. That's insane. Look at here. Oh, here we go. Oh, they did. We're getting out. Everyone's waiting. There we go. They're gonna, oh, there's oh, the guy. Oh, God. There's the guy. Okay, so he, is right there. he took the emergency. That's, oh, he's he's taking, stealing a truck. He's oh, taking he people is. down. He's stealing a truck right now. What's Thank this? God. They got him. <laughs> Unbelievable. If I had to guess, this is probably a guy who travels for work. And whoever his assistant was did the wrong thing. And was he like finds out, yeah, Southwest. They like it must have been a new assistant, right? He thought yeah. he had a Delta a comfort yeah. class, uh, yeah, totally. right. And then uh, next thing you know, he's, he's like, "There's no boarding groups, there's no rules." He's <laughs> like, "Everyone's in pajamas." Yeah, I'm out of my element. I'm getting off. Yeah, he's sitting, he's sitting bitch in the thirtieth row, <laughs> yeah. seven fifty-seven. And so he did the right thing. He got right, the, hell. the right thing. I can't think of any more grave emergency than I am sitting on a Southwest flight. <laughs> Like, That's think about so that. so mean. No, think about that. 
There's not even, I didn't know, they don't even have the damn TVs on the chairs. Everyone there is just like, they're just trying to wind them up to cause problems. And these are already dangerous people to begin with. He's like, I'm off of this thing, give me your like, truck. Is this a science experiment? This is like a psychology, like a psychological experiment. How do we make people crack? Well, you pack them in, you have no boarding groups, no TVs, and no rules. And let's see what happens. It's like Mad Max in the sky. All right, we got one, we got one other thing that we got to hit. Fellas. Okay. And, okay. and the smug specifically addressed this and wanted it to go into the program. Oh, God. Is it really? It's, it made the show. Yeah, I'm not sure this, uh, this like, actual website that I'm citing here, jalopnik.com. Jalop- oh, it's a real yeah. one. It's yeah, a, that's a car a website. One. Yeah. It's a car website? Yeah. Yeah, they have stuff about cars. Okay. So that's... It's a. It's. I mean, it's also related to Gawker, so it's like. Is left, that where you, It's left wing views on cars. It's like, hey, here's the new Mustang. Also, communism is good. <laughs> That's <Jalopnik. laughs> Well, they also have uh, some views here. Uh, it was just do- a man doing what he was told, uh, evidently, because he was arrested for pleasuring himself at the come and go gas station. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, no. An Iowa man has been arrested and charged with indecent exposure for an incident in March uh, where witnesses say he pleasured himself to a come-and-go gas station and then vacated the premises, <laughs> according to Smoke. I mean, he literally followed directions. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he's like, what you, he's like, what do you want from me? This is a family program. That's it what he God. said, according to Smoking Gun, a local radio station, uh, Kenneth Lee Kelly, you know, all the masturbators have three names. Well, they have <laughs> Just like serial killers. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. 54 of I... 54? He's a little, like, pushing Come it on, that. dude. I mean, little blue pills doing miracles in <laughs> Iowa, evidently. <laughs> so 54 of Iowa City was arrested on a decent exposure charge that uh, happened back in March. Uh, witnesses called 911 about an unknown individual at the come and go. Uh, that they say was doing sexual things, quote unquote, and then proceeded to expose his privates. And see, it's like, <laughs> other than this guy, it is so telling of uh, how like good the people of Iowa are, and they're they're, they're like very decent human <laughs> beings. When, like he's doing sexual things, right? Like because this is ex- extremely like yeah. improper shit yeah. to be doing in public. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, it's one of the best places number Salt one the that thieves. you can go in this country and yeah. like he's just doing sexual things he's doing sexual things now uh he admitted that admitted that his clothing matched the man in the video but denied being the perpetrator incredible <laughs> now witnesses positively identified him in the lineup and uh, police obtained a warrant to search mr kelly's house to find matching clothing once charged with misdemeanor indecent exposure mr kelly clarified that he was scratching his genitals oh. And not actually exposing himself. Uh, he faces up to a year in jail if convicted. His previous convictions for uh, felony theft, narcotics possession, driving without a license, and marijuana. Uh, it, uh, again, instructions? Okay, also, so Was he's he only following? getting a misdemeanor, and, and also, with a misdemeanor, they got a search warrant for his house? Yeah, I don't... I don't know how they got... I think it's open and shut. He got, like, ID'd by, by, by witnesses... All right, charge him. Send him to jail. Our, our society is falling apart. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what says. I don't know what says that we are a healthy society. Quite like the last three stories we talked about. <laughs> you can't. You can't hook a horse up into the cargo plane. A guy just 
runs out of the emergency exit on the tarmac of a Southwest flight, and then you got this guy. Things are wrong. <laughs> Things are not. He has a name, Smashbrook. His name is Kenneth Lee Kelly. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that is Lee such Kelly. a warning sign. Kenneth the three-name thing, it's like right next to yellow. I keep going back to the fact that it was Iowa. It's like, hey, hon, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going? Oh, hey, just heading down to the come and go. I'll be right back. Just going to take pick, take care of some things, pick a few things up for the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I was simply following instructions. Is it a come and go or not? That's all I'm going to say. Is it my fault that they named it? We're a family program. It's a come and go. I came and I went. Oh, Kenneth Lee. I love it. With that, we should introduce our interview, shouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. I love we saved our best stuff right before we interview a serious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this guy is a serious person. You're actually going to love his story and his interview. It's probably the first time you've heard it in its entirety. Um, but it's Derek Anderson. He's a congressional candidate that is in the middle of a must-have congressional race in Virginia. His story is incredible. He's a Green Beret. You got to listen. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. Great story to tell. He's been on our radar for a while. He's running for Congress in what it's going to be a really competitive race. And it's one of those districts that can go either way. Might be a majority maker. But this guy's up to the task. Derek Anderson, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, gents. Appreciate y'all having me. Yeah. I mean, listen to this. I've got calls coming in. I've already (laughs) had an unprofessional start that I've got going on. Uh, But look... Tell us a little bit about your story, because yeah. not everybody knows it. It, it has been sort of international news and in, in who you are yeah. and how you came about uh, being interested in politics and your service and everything else. But why don't we get it from directly from you? Yeah, you know, we, we were joking right beforehand, you know, you get, you get out on the campaign trail and you get 30 seconds. It's like, tell me why you're running for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, uh, well, there's a lot of things. Uh, right. But, you know, one of the things that really kind of hit uh, me was the withdrawal in Afghanistan. Uh, and specifically for me. Uh, you know, if you trace my story back, not only just the fact that, you know, I'm from Spotsylvania County, that's my home district. You know, my mom owned, uh, you know, I always try to be PC about, she owned restaurants that just so happen to have a bar next to it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where I worked growing up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of awesome being on the campaign trail and you're walking around they're like, I think your mom might have kicked me out of the bar one or two times. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I probably remember that, my man. It checks. Yeah, it checks out. Uh, but, you know, I, I ended up going, uh, you know, I was the first college graduate in my family. I went to Virginia Tech. Thank God my mom is a wonderful woman and pushed me in that direction because, yeah. you know, my senior year in high school was 9-11. Yeah. So, you know, initially my first reaction was, nope, I'm going into the military. I'm going to serve. And my mom was like, no, you're not. You're going to Virginia Tech. Well, there was a few options, but Virginia Tech ended up being it because they had the core cadets there. Yeah. I, I thought that was actually a really good thing for me growing up. But um, you know, I ended up uh, going into the infantry afterwards, went with 3rd ID, did 15 months in, Af- uh, in Iraq as part of the surge, which was... Yeah, that's wild. 15 months is a long time. Yeah. I mean, it was really, a really long time. Um, I thought about getting out after that, and I ended I, up... I imagine, just yeah, pure fatigue. 15 right? months was just, like, brutal. And, you know, we lost... I was uh, first platoon leader. My uh, roommate was second platoon leader. They lost an entire squad in an IED attack. Um, You know, they lost quite a few folks. And so I came back. I kind of reset. I went to the old guard over at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, which was really awesome. Like, it was was one of those places I always tell people it's not – 
a lot of people are like, it must have been when you were Green Beret, it was your best time in the service. It was. That was the most cool stuff I did. It was the most fun. But when I talked about like what you have like a sense of pride, yeah. it's like doing funerals in Arlington National Cemetery, being able to lay someone's loved one down to rest for the final time and doing it perfect mm-hmm. was like something that meant something to yeah, me. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Uh, I was in this crossroads in life. I uh, was thinking about going to law school. And then I got the letter in the mail, literally the week I was supposed to take the LSAT. And it said, you want to go to selection for the Green Berets? And I was like, yeah, why not? So <laughs> I did that <laughs> instead of taking the LSAT. The test Saturday. will be around Yeah, it'll be around. Yeah. So <laughs> I did that, um, ended up passing, going through the two-ish years of the Q course, uh, and then uh, showed up the 5th Special Forces Group, and I deployed with them five times. So Jeez. Um, I was fortunate. I did some really cool missions. I uh, went to Bahrain, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, and then this kind of goes into rolls into the story. You know, my team and I were on our my, my Green Beret team and I were on our last mission in Afghanistan. Uh, we were split up in three different spots in this valley um, in an area called Argandab, and so we uh, one of our positions started getting shot at from about two or three locations. Uh, and as that happened, you know, we started a, um, a B1 bomber had come on station. We we were assuming that it was going to be AC-130, which those things are amazing. Mm-hmm. You ever seen the videos of them? They oh, essentially yeah. shoot like mortars from the sky. Right. It's pretty wild. Um, so w- bottom line is um, we end up calling in close air support. We're wearing um, IR strobes on the top of our helmets. And that's how we're identifying ourselves. Can you see IR strobe here? Yes. Okay, go this distance direction. That's where bad guys are. Well, they ended up dropping two 500-pound bombs on what they thought was bad guys, and it was on our team <sighs> in Afghanistan, Man. killing five other guys uh, in one Afghan. So, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, we redeploy fairly quickly from Afghanistan. Uh, we go to the funerals of our guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out what the heck actually happened. Yeah. You know, we had been interviewed by some folks. Um, generally speaking, the chain of command was like, hey, th- there was an issue with the aircraft. Don't worry about it. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll continue marching on. And then that was in 2014, 09, or 9 June 2014 was when my guys were killed. And then um, fast forward a couple of months and I get, you know, the letter that nobody wants and i got called to the man's office and it said uh you know we're recommending relief of command for you hmm. and i was sitting back like Are you, yeah. what is going on right now yeah and so eventually they put an air force general in charge of an air force plane dropping on army guys on the ground investigation was really long hundreds of pages long i ended up dissecting it and i was like well there's an issue here the airplane that said it could see the strobes on our home it's can could it was in the manuals that it could the Air Force thought it could, the pilots thought it could, everyone thought it could, but it, but it couldn't. Wow. And so instead of rectifying and going after that problem, they essentially said, you guys on the ground should have known better. The guys on the ground- <laughs> You should have known the should aircraft known better, capabilities. Know, known it better than the, the Air Force and the Air Force pilots. So- I remember this. There's, there was a whole 60 minutes they did on this. So yeah, so fast forward, I ended up going after, you know, I, I wrote a rebuttal. It's like 30 plus pages. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much went down the line of every single inaccuracy deficiency in yeah. this report. And I sent it to my chain of command. Uh, there was some, you know, consternation amongst the chain of command of what was going on. Um, and I uh, pretty much put my, you know, I poked the DOD in the eye. I said, this is yeah. wrong. Yeah. You guys, there's a problem, inherent issue with this aircraft. You're not willing to address it. Instead, you want to go uh, and push it down onto the guys. Yeah. As we've seen over the years, you know, that's not something new that we've seen, but it was something new to me. And so um, Christmas Eve 2014, distinctly remember it. Uh, I was visiting my mom in Spotsylvania. I was on block leave uh, and I got the phone call that said, hey, no administrative or disciplinary action is going to happen to you. Mm. And I was like, but that was a relief. It was. 
But then I came back after block leave in January and said, so what are you going to do to fix it? Yeah. Uh, they were not happy with that, <laughs> needless to say. So um, this guy won't go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can imagine, you know, I, uh, I go back, um, I, you know, I ended up deploying to Lebanon and Israel uh, as after that. You know, there was all these talks. Well, you know, he, he, this, this was on them, on them. I was like, you put me as a second in command of the company after that and redeployed me two times if I was such a terrible commander. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what the hell? Like, what is going on here? Your decision making is even yeah. worse than I thought. I was I like, thought. this is insane. Uh, right. So I ended up, uh, you know, I had a, I had a, and thank God for this gentleman, but he's a former Green Beret, two-star general, and an attorney here in D.C. He represented me pro bono the whole time. Wow. Him and a team of attorneys helped me out, uh, and he pretty much looked at me and he said, hey, man, what are you going to do next? Because, you know, you kind of you punched the DOD in the face and told them they were wrong. Yeah. Uh, and during that period when all that was going down, you know, that my lawyer actually had me come up to D.C., and I met with members of Congress on both the House and the Senate side. Some conversations went well. Yeah. Some conversations didn't. Uh, and that was kind of my first impression. That was my first time. Like I never sat in a room with a member. I was going to say we, you probably weren't inherently very political. No, this. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, admittedly, like I walked in there, I had to go dig a suit out. You know that yeah. I usually take overseas to go into. You know, embassies usually when I right. have one. Uh, and I, you know, I, uh, you know, I got I got into some heated debates with yeah. some members and their staff and. Um, a matter of fact, there's one individual, I won't, won't name him, but, uh, <laughs> we're cool if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was one specifically Virginia, <laughs> um, uh, that literally his staffer was like, well, we got a lot of things going on right now. We have, you know, we have an election coming up. We have a lot of things. This is just not in our prerogative. Oh. And I was like, I'm your constituent, man. Yeah, like right. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm like, I'm one of your people. And he pretty much said like, sorry. And he actually, uh, I was very heated and yeah. I ended up being like, he said, you know, this meeting's over. So I walked out and he chased me down the hallway and said, you know, thank you for your service, whatever, and uh, walked away. <laughs> and then there was a woman, uh, I'll name her because she's awesome, Senator Kelly Ayotte. She came and helped me out. Like yeah. she was amazing, uh, amazing person, had my side, was behind me the whole time. Uh, so anyways, That's that, was my, that was my first taste. That was my first taste of politics. I never, never really uh, heard anything about it. And then to your point earlier, yeah. I ended up going to law school and I'm a second year, you know, dreary-eyed, drinking coffee, trying to stay awake in class type thing, trying to get through law school. Uh, and 60 Minutes called me and said, hey, do you want to go on 60 Minutes and tell your side of the story? I said, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I really do because I want something to happen. And so went on 60 Minutes, did that. And then one of my Green Beret buddies was, again, working up on the Hill. He said, hey, you got everyone's attention now. Um, yeah. You know, one of the guys lied on national TV, uh, the Air Force general. So they're like, you got everyone's attention. So if you want write something up. Yeah. So I started writing white papers to the House Armed Services Committee and eventually we started getting language into the NDAA that was saying, hey, what do you guys do in DOD to fix this problem? That's What's amazing. next? What's next? And so it's hard to tell that story, like I was saying, in 30 seconds yeah, when you're yeah. talking to someone. But you know, when I saw what happened in Afghanistan, that kind of was the tipping point for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like, this is, this is not good. Uh, how the situation was handled was not good. I'd even, you know, I'd gone to a wedding shortly after that, another one of my Green Berets. Uh, Green Beret buddies, um, and he, you know, he had a few buddies that were actually on the ground in Afghanistan, like throwing people, throwing equipment back yeah. on the airplanes as they were trying to get out of there. So, man, uh, it was pretty disastrous. And so, you know, uh, I did some internal soul searching. I said, I want to do something. Like, I want to do something to continue serving. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I decided to run in 22. It's wild. And that's right? what. And that's how it happened. Yeah. Uh, it kind of it literally happened. I said, I'm going to think about this for a month, and then. I jumped in and did it. Well, I think the coolest part about all of that, and I'm glad you told the full story because it's an important context to why you're here in the first place. Um, the coolest part about it is you're 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 doing it not because you're particularly 
part, maybe partisan motivated personally, but you want to change, mm -hmm. which is really why anybody should run yeah. for office, yeah. right? You want to change, sought it, were successful in a personal capacity, and then understood that you could do that in a larger way of representing people you grew up with. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the coolest parts about this, too, is I, 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 this is one of my funniest campaign stories of 22, is I'm knocking on doors in Spotsylvania, actually in the neighborhood directly next to my high school, and one of my ex-girlfriends, <laughs> granted, it was a wild story, she's a wonderful woman, her family's wonderful, I met her when I was actually stationed at Fort Campbell, ran into her and was like, we're both from Spotsylvania County, this is amazing, <laughs> ended up dating her for a while, and uh, we're, we still remain friends, and uh I got a text message from my friend, my ex-girlfriend, and she said, did you just knock on my parents' front door? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing and here, man? And I was man? like, you know, I got my I got my stuff. I'm out there just knocking on doors. Just me. I think I don't. I had a campaign manager. He was somewhere else doing it, and I was like, knocking on doors, knocking on doors. And all of a sudden, I go, I might have. I'm in your parents' neighborhood. I don't know if they still live here or not. She goes, my dad just got out of the shower. He's coming to find you. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Let's make sure and, he puts some clothes on. And uh, he's, he's a great, great guy. And he rolls up in his pickup truck. And he's like, hello, Mr. Anderson. And I was like, hey, Mr. So-and-so. And he's like, you need a water? And I was like, am I going to make it out of that truck if I get in with you? And he goes, yeah, you'll make it out of here. Come on, man. Oh, so it was great. awesome. You know, we sat there and was it's awesome to run into people like that, you know, like yeah. not many people can have that opportunity to be genuinely be able to say like, I represent the people that raised me. Like I represent my mom, yeah. I represent my grandparents, my cousins, my uncles. Like it's going to be like, it's truly an honor to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique position to be in. I mean, it's cool. And look, in 22, you took on one of the toughest races in the country yeah. and had it been never done it before, which in and of itself says something about your willingness to put yourself out there. This time around, it's open seat, yeah. right? Yeah. And this was the most expensive house race in the country last uh, last cycle, mm -hmm. right? He's a that, Virginia 7. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yep. And uh, Abigail Spanberger, who's in the the seat now currently, is going to be running for governor. Yep. Right? So open seat. An open seat and yep. a guy with name ID all of a sudden, huh? Yeah. Uh, I feel like you probably learned a few things the first time around. Learned a few things. Uh, yeah, I, f I forget who it was I was talking to the other day, and they said... Derek, what did you learn? Like, what, what would you have changed from last time? And to be quite honest, you know, uh, I'm pretty forefront. No one knew who I was when it yeah. came to politics. Like, you know, I'd, I'd never been involved. I'd been involved in Yunkin stuff, you know, some local stuff here and there. But, like, I'd never been a candidate. I'd mm -hmm. never run for anything before. Um, all of my primary opponents, you know, they were all sitting members or someone who had, you know, sitting state senators, you know, uh, board of supervisors. Yeah, right. They built up name. Yeah, they, they had right. it. And, you know, and so I had to come in and I always, you know, I tell folks, I was like, I had to learn while I was on the go. Mm -hmm. All of my all of my primary competitors, they you know they knew what they were doing. They've done this before. They knew it worked, what it didn't. Uh, and pretty much what I ended up seeing very quickly is like the power of hard work. Surprise, actually, will do like works. Yeah, uh, you know we we made it a point that every single day that you know bef you know I would be fundraising during the day, and then in the afternoon I would go to a neighborhood close to wherever the local GOP is or a restaurant or what have you go knock on 20 or 30 doors, then go to the GOP meeting, try to swing by another restaurant. There's a Waffle House uh, down in Spotsylvania that knows me very well uh, because me and my campaign manager would come back at midnight and be like, we haven't eaten dinner. Yeah. Uh, and so we would just hang out at the Waffle House. Isn't that, that's the wildest thing about a congressional campaign is 
your day will be so packed with events and things that you'll just forget to eat sometimes. All the time. It's just totally. late hours. All the time. You know? And, and you'll realize, you'll be like, I don't feel good. Why don't I feel, oh, I haven't eaten yeah. in like Hol- Holmes, Holmes used to just work on Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> yes. he, he could drink like a two liter of the thing during yeah. the day, not eat anything. My, mine was the Wawa Club Sandwich and Waffle House. There Those you are go. my two things uh, yeah. that I'd be able to get fairly quickly and take it home yeah. and just power through it and go straight to sleep like <laughs> yeah. that was my those are my two two things so at least you have the preparation for it having yeah. your your military service it's like you know if, if things are not ideal in the old body yeah. you gotta keep going yeah yeah i mean it was funny though because i'd see some some of my buddies like man you're looking kind of skinny like and i was like yeah well <laughs> i'm running i'm knocking on door it got to the point where my campaign manager because i would be out there i'd I'd go into the car, grab a bottle of water, and jump back out there. And he's like, your face is bright red. <laughs> You're did scaring you, them. Did you put Daring. any sunblock on, man? And I'm like, nope, I didn't. Uh, I had no sunblock on, and my face was toasted. And so I'd always walk around, my campaign manager and my, my team would be like, where's your sunblock? Where's your sunblock? And they still to this day, they'll text me if I'm going to go knock on door. Where's your sunblock at? Make sure you got your sunblock. So I, I, I toasted myself during the uh, during so good. You wild. also got to know that a guy's pretty squared away when he's comfortable knocking on ex-girlfriend's doors. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I can get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy's going door to door, every door in the district, uh, it sounds like. We, we, we knocked a lot. Uh, but I mean, that that's what we figured out, you know, like just going surprise surprise going out yeah, and just being people. around people you know we used to yeah. go to restaurants and just hey do you mind if i walk around and say hi to people yeah be like, yeah sure yeah uh they'd have you know a philanthropic event do you mind if i just i just want to come hang out if that's all right and so i think that was really the kind of the power of our campaign in 22 is you know from some for somebody who did not you know have any name recognition or didn't have any uh name id uh, as far as it came politically you know i think that really helped us out on the ground which is beating feet and getting out there totally people that's it i mean that's what it came down to and i i think you know a lot of folks in the district also saw it too is like we were willing to work like yeah. i think there's a lot of people who go up to to dc and go to you know become a member in one way or another uh and you know they kick it's like a popularity they kick their feet up after they get up yeah. there and they say well i made it like that's not how our mentality is like my team has been 100 like we're going to work our tails off we're going to prove to people that we're willing and willing to work when we get up yeah, there. Yeah, nobody's going to want it more. No. I want to ask you about current events because sure. you mentioned um, your time in Israel. Mm-hmm. I know you had ex- some experience with the IDF. Yeah. Give us your thoughts on what's happening there. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of folks... So I went, I went there in, I think it was 2016, roughly around that time mm-hmm. frame I went there. Um, Pretty much, it was kind of cool. We did a thing where we trained with the Israeli Defense Forces, some of their special operations guys and gals, um, and then they brought we brought some of them over here, mm-hmm. and we did some training, some just concurrent training, essentially. Um, the organization that we were working with was uh, essentially like their version of EOD, like the explosives people, mm-hmm. which also incorporates the tunnel people. Like oh, they yeah. have an actual unit for the tunnels. I imagine. Yeah, yeah it's and a huge deal. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time. We got to go to a few of their bases. Um, and I actually, when I was in law school, I went there on another trip with them as well. And I got to see a whole bunch of really cool stuff just in my civilian capacity, yeah. not in my military. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that was, re- that always just caught me like by, by guard, like off guard and by surprise was, I remember going in and talking with the IDF commander. I think he was a captain at the time. Uh, and him and I were talking. And at the time, you know, Syria was kicking off. Mm-hmm. Uh, ISIS was, you know, yeah, was totally. taking their heads over in the borders of Israel and Lebanon and some of these other countries. And so it was one of those things a lot of times where you're talking to the IDF and you're like, oh, why don't you do this? And you're trying to give them advice or at least, you know, hey, this is how we would look at things. 
And I remember distinctly the IDF commander being like, you know, it's sometimes you get you Americans just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you have to understand right now because one of the things we asked him about was Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. So this is great. Hezbollah's not pointing their weapons at you. They're too busy worried about ISIS. They don't like ISIS. That's a good thing for everyone, right? And he said, that's that's the fifty meter target, right? Mm-hmm. You guys don't see it, then a few years from now, something's gonna pop off. And Hezbollah's now been funded, and now they're trained because they were fighting ISIS. Mm. And where do you think those weapons are gonna turn back to? Mm. Us. He goes, what what about, you know, all these other organizations uh, that are out there, right now they're all focused on ISIS. You guys forget that in a couple years from now, those crosshairs will go right back on us. Mm -hmm. And it was really something, you know, you you hear it in the news quite often, you know, like what happened? What would it be like if Mexico or Canada were just lobbing rockets at us every All the time, day, right? Like, yeah. Or they were just like indiscriminately shooting across, which, you know, sometimes they do. But <laughs> right. imagine if that was going on on a daily basis. Like when I was there with my Georgetown, uh, when I was in when law school, some of my law school friends thought it was fireworks going over our heads. We were in the southern part of Israel. And I was like, You're nope. Like, hey, fellas, that ain't nope. it. Nope. <laughs> uh, those are those are those are missiles. Those are um, live deals. And so that was one of the things that it's I, like that existential mentality. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's always it's always there. Yeah. You know, and, and like a lot of folks, the big thing I got to see the other thing that really kind of took me by surprise with the tunnel systems. Right. So um one of the things they were able to do is they took a map out and we were in the southern part of Israel looking down into Gaza. So like mm-hmm. you could physically look into Gaza and it's kind of a surreal look because like you can see the kibbutzes and you yeah. can see like where people are eating uh, hummus right down the street. I mean, we went mm-hmm. to a restaurant and ate hummus like a few, mm-hmm. you know, right near Gaza. Uh, and you're looking down into it and it's just a, a, a fence that goes around it and it's got kind of a no man's land on each side where it's kind of got a road. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, I got to see Gaza. Um, and they're like, well, let's pull out a map. So they pulled out a map. And they started pointing out different buildings. And there was like one building that had like kind of haphazardly UN painted on the side of it and had a few other things. And I was like, well, what, what's the significance of that? Like, I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, and they were like, oh, that's where the tunnels are. That's where they build, start their tunnels at. And at the time, I don't know if they had built the concrete underneath the fence yet or not, but they showed us a whole bunch of videos of some of the tunnels that had gone into Israel. Mm. So like, they were actually tunnels going into Israel. And I was like, well, what's the issue? And he's like, well, you always hear about the stabbings in Israel. You, you, oftentimes you hear either rockets coming over yeah. the border yeah. or stabbings. What happens is, is these guys, this Hamas people are coming under through the tunnels, finding a knife somewhere and just indiscriminately stabbing people in some of these populated areas. That's just incredible. It was insane. And it's so wild. you're watching this and then they show you mock-up tunnels. And these things are they're they're very built up you know yeah. essentially they dig 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 24 7 and then they drop a concrete barrier in there that's like a u-shape mm-hmm. slide it in keep digging keep digging keep digging and so you're like this is like a legitimate operation here yeah. uh and so shows their commitment too shows their commitment shows that their their ability to do it and, mm-hmm. uh, to go out go out and do that so i mean I, I think that was the biggest thing since day one since october 7th you know that was that's always been my the thing that kind of sits in the back of my mind is the Israelis have had really good tactics and techniques to take care of these tunnels in the past. You know, they've got this, they've got liquid foam that mm. can explode. Uh, they got liquid foam that just hardens. Mm. But when you take that added element of the hostages in, then. Yeah, now what? Now what? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't put explosives into a tunnel that potentially has hostages, yeah. right? You can't, you can't stop the avenue of approach for you to go in there and actually rescue the hostages if it's blocked off. Yeah. And so that's been really kind of the thing that, you know, I think that the Israelis are having to, to toil with. It's, it's not an easy task. And as we all know, uh, you know, Hamas can do whatever they want, right? They, they have done whatever yeah, they want. Yeah, there's no rules with them. No rules. Yeah. The second the IDF screw up, the second that Israel screws up, 
they get they get their their thumb gets directly on them. So yeah. you know they're just in the situation that is just not easy um, from an international perspective or from a you know totally. It's it just it's not easy for them. No, it seems like it's just the worst set of circumstances yeah. of all time. And what I find so baffling, and I don't know if you have a pers- perspective on this or not, but. I find it so baffling that there are constituencies in this country that honestly think Hamas has got a point of view here. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it's doesn't it just blow your mind? Yeah. I mean, especially, too, when you see where it's happening at, like it's happening at our schools and institutions of higher level learning. Yeah, that's what kind of that's what that's what's scary to me is a lot of these people are going to get a Harvard degree or a Yale degree or a degree from somewhere and potentially go on to do big things. Yeah. And and we're starting to see that there, there's something inherently wrong there um, where, you know, you, you we are starting to now see the atrocities that, I mean, we've been seeing it for the last, you know, over almost two months now, right? And the fact that people can look those, you know, journalists or those people dead in the eye and say, well, that's fake. <laughs> it never happened. Yeah. And they bring the media in. You saw Israel brought in the media and oh, say, yeah. hey, look, we'll show you firsthand what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I always, I compare how, Hamas uses their their political or sorry their like public affairs yeah. right their PAO their public affairs how they they put stuff. Hamas literally went in, attacked, killed, burned, did all of the most heinous things in the world to the Israelis, and then drug you know two hundred plus of them over into Gaza, and have been keeping them for you know two months now, keeping them hostage. We're starting to now hear some of the stories that are coming out. On the, on the other side of the token, you have Israel that's showing videos. I remember when they first started doing some of their raids, they had very, very precise, you know, they had their weapons up, they were body camming, body footage of everything that was going yeah. on, showing that they were being discriminant, meaning not shooting into buildings right. just willy-nilly. They were showing that, you know, the targets that they were targeting were actual Hamas, you know, holding areas, weapons depots, what have you. And then they would actually do warnings. Please leave. We are about to go and bomb this or do something here. Mm-hmm. Those are the two, like, if you look yeah. at that and then you see the, these people that are on the streets doing what they're doing, it's like, <laughs> I don't get, it, 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 it does not compute with me. Like, it's no. just like really, really um, terrible. And, you know, I think there is something to be said though, you know, like there's people out there that are just like peace loving people, right? They don't want Palestinians to get killed. They don't want Israelis to get yeah. killed. I think everyone agrees with that generally. I mean, I, I do. I don't, yeah. I don't want to see innocent people get killed. But at the end of the day, when you see Hamas grabbing innocent civilians and hiding behind them, that... Yeah. you're stuck in a rock in a hard place there yeah so, i mean good people have an obligation yeah. to stand up at it some is. point or else it continues yeah um well listen i, I appreciate your perspective on that and by the way you brought us a bottle of bourbon which i, I had just, to this is is there a story behind this uh, one of my green Bray buddies gave it to me just recently and i said <laughs> you know what these guys might like this one. i've got yeah i mean this looks like a beautiful bottle yeah i love this yeah. hotel tango there was another one, one of my, I'll have to try to get one for you. One of my buddies who's a Green Beret, he has a distillery down outside of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, he's a, uh, Andy, if you're out there, buddy, uh, we'll try to get these guys a bottle. Uh, I love that. These guys are awesome. We're uh, familiar with the Fort Campbell area, that's yeah. for sure. Spent a lot of time in and around that spot. That's yeah. great. Great bunch of people. Great, great, uh, great Americans down there. Totally. Absolutely. All right. So I got three questions for you before we get you out of here. If you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Oh, it would definitely have to be a New York strip. There you medium go. Medium rare. Yeah, I got mm. it. I'm a big steak guy. Got to. Got to. Got any to. any sides with that, or we're we just going straight? Medium? Oh no, I'm gonna go 
if I'm going to get a side, I'm going to do like a lobster tail with it. Mm. Like, yeah. Outback Steakhouse style yeah. lobster <laughs> tail for six bucks yeah. on, on next to That's That's where I'm going. I mean, it's your last meal. That's it. You yeah. can do whatever you yeah. want. I'm putting a lobster tail either on top of it or right next to it for sure. <laughs> Maybe a little bourbon? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be the drink of choice for yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this question is going to hit a little differently with you. Typically, we ask people who've been in politics for a while, if you can look back on your life with the benefit of Blue Sky, and you have this time period that you've dedicated to doing what you're doing, and but you can fill it with anything you want with the benefit of retrospect. For you, that obviously goes back much further, and it's just sort of a Blue Sky question. You got 10, 15 years in the middle of your life knowing what you know now. What would you do with it? If you had to do something different. If I had to do something different outside of politics, you know, I don't, I'd want to open a distillery. Yeah. Nice. I, mean, I, I, I when I say I'm a bourbon guy, I'm a bourbon. You're guy. a real bourbon. I'm guy. a real bourbon guy. Like I, I, uh, you know, I, yeah, I would open a distillery. I don't think it's gonna be able to match some of the stuff out there. Cause there's just some of the stuff out there just so, so good nowadays. Like, and they just, spend so much time like yeah. tinkering and it's a science yeah. experiment. And if, and if I had the time, I would try to do that, right? Like yeah. I would try to tinker with it to make it to the level of some of these bourbons. <laughs> right? But like just to be able to have like a bourbon that has, you know, like Anderson on there yeah. or, you know, like a green bread or like a horse soldier or yeah. something awesome. I would want to do a distillery. I think that would just be fun. It'd be a good challenge too, you know, like, cause it's hard. It's yeah, not, it's not easy work out there. I think. Yeah, I would. I would own a distillery. And there's a reward at the end. That all, I mean, the bottle is just it oh, is what yeah. it is. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah. And if it's good or it's bad, it still gets you drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. In the end, it's it not does. A, it's not a complete loss. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> all right. So third and final. Yeah. Uh, so our view is that almost all successful people are motivated by one of two things: the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody enjoys losing or anybody doesn't like winning. It's what motivates you to keep going. Mm -hmm. And we've always used Michael Jordan as the agony of defeat prototypical person that, yeah. you know, all the championships he won, he celebrated for like three and a half minutes. But like, you know, you insult him on the court and he carries it around oh, like yeah. a backpack for the for rest sure. of his life. So he's like an agony of defeat guy. A lot of examples of super successful thrill of victory people that are self-motivated. They do the stuff because they think they can do it. Mm -hmm. Um on those two poles, where do you think you find yourself, Derek? Uh, whether or not I, you know, enjoy the agony defeat versus the victory. Well, it's or... just like basically what motivates you to keep going. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's 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 an esoteric question, yeah. granted, but it, you know, it kind of it, it's a good character. So, because I've felt defeat before. Yeah. <laughs> like let's let's be honest. You know, one of the things that really kind of sat with me uh the night of, you know, 2022 when I lost my primary. Uh, you know, my mom was in dead tears. You know, mm. she was in dead, dead tears. Uh, my family was there. My friends were there. My high school friends. Yeah. You know, college buddies. Everyone had driven in uh, to Spotsylvania. Uh, and, um, you know, it was one of those things where my mom was just in tears. And I was like, relax, mom. Yeah. Like, this is, I, I had to tell, the, the, the first thing I told everyone was like, this is not the worst day in my life. Yeah. It's not. Um, you know, it's just one step. It's a hurdle. It's something that happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, the agony defeat really, you know, motivated me. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to continue to do stuff. And, you know, admittedly, when I first thought about doing this again, there was a lot of soul searching. You know, I talked to my mom, my mom's like, you sure you really want to go back through this again? And I was <laughs> like, I guess misery loves company, mom, let's do it. You know, like, uh, so no, I think that was, that was one of the things being able to look across and seeing all the people that were there that supported me. Um, and that continue to support me. Um, 
it's awesome right yeah. like that night was a night not not my favorite night in the world yeah but it's really cool now that you know while i'm running when i'm running around the district and everyone goes oh man that sucked but we're really happy that you're back in it you know like yeah. that part is like okay well i must have done something right here like we're we're, we're doing something right and people believe in us yeah. i think that's really kind of what motivates me to keep pushing forward yeah that's very cool yeah. so derek uh, for those of us who want to support your campaign, help yep. out, where do they go? Yeah, folks can uh, go to DerekAnderson.com. It's D-E-R-R-I-C-K, Anderson.com. It's got information on me. Obviously, you know, we have uh, places for people to sign up to help door knock, put signs out. Obviously, if people want to throw a little money in there, we're yeah. never going to complain about that. But... Again, the most expensive house yeah. district <laughs> yeah. in the country. Democrats, in Democrats yeah. want it bad. They yeah. do. So, But, uh, you know, I think we're in a good spot and uh, we're going to keep... We're going to keep chugging along and uh, take the seat back. I imagine you're getting a lot of veteran support. Big time. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, Quantico's right there yeah. in the middle of our district. So yeah. I mean, the, the funniest ones are always when I knock on some Marine's door and I'm like, hey, I'm Derek Anderson. I'm former Green Beret. And he goes, burp. Like, <laughs> <laughs> devil dogs. I'm like, all right. Like, give me a break, guys. Give me a break. So, Can you meet me halfway yeah, on this? On, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for running. Yeah. It's really important. And you got a great voice to, uh, to help advocate for people you grew up with. And I really hope you get there. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Jens. Appreciate it. Seriously. Thanks, Derek. It's a very, very competitive district. Open seat. This is where Dave Bratt won. Eric Cantor won this for, for just cycle after cycle. I think that we can get this seat back, and he seems like a good start. It's yeah. a majority maker. It really is. I mean, yeah. like, I said, That's it. In, like I said in the interview, this is the most expensive house race in the country in 2022. You know, I mean, like it's it's a it's one that we have to win if we want to build a sustainable majority for Republicans in the House. We just got to do it. No question and about we it. We got a great candidate. I mean, incredibly impressive. And, and what I love about him, dude, is like he seems like the sort of guy who very reluctantly got into politics. Totally. You know, I mean, he, he's a Green Beret. That's he, a good sign. he has this like terrible situation with his own own troops while he's over there serving. And what he got to see was like the failures of the system up close and personal. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I think I can improve this. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, what do you want? Like, what do you want more in a public servant than somebody who didn't want to do this, was yeah. forced to do this, saw the system as it is, and was like, I think I can do better. 100%. 100%. Just a rock solid dude. I'm yeah. glad he came on. We're going to be following him throughout. You should go to his website if you want to support him. Uh, and we will continue to follow that campaign all the way through. Yeah. With that, fellas, I think we did it. A big Tuesday episode. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode. Gentlemen, thank you so much to Derek Anderson. Best of luck on that campaign. And thank you so much to the Minions. If you have not yet, subscribe on YouTube. Enjoy the show with video. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. Thank you.